0: Uh, We're going to be reading verses 5 through 7 in just a moment. Of course, today's Easter Sunday, so we're going to be looking at the resurrection of Jesus, but I want to look at it from several different perspectives this morning. We're going to look at three different belief systems and how each of those belief systems view the resurrection of Christ. And so we're going to look at atheism and theological liberalism and then Christianity. How does atheism view the resurrection of Christ? How does liberalism view the resurrection of Christ? How does Christianity view the resurrection? And there's an outline inside your worship guide. God, I'd encourage you to take that out. You'll be able to follow along in the different points we'll be talking about. You'll notice the title of our message this morning comes from the traditional Easter greeting. He is risen. He is risen indeed. So hear the word of God now from Matthew 28, verses 5 through 7. Dear Lord, as we look into your word this morning, as we uh, rejoice in your resurrection, I pray, Lord, that you'd give us a a greater understanding uh, of the wonder of the truth that we believe, that we proclaim, that has changed our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are many ways to greet each other at Easter. I even went to the Hallmark page on the internet uh, to look some of them up, and uh, they had some interesting ones. Uh, You know, one was Happy Easter and God Bless, and you know, that's not bad. I like the fact that they've got God in there. That's good. But you know, a lot of their greetings uh, seem to focus more on the time or the season of the year uh, rather than the actual uh, reason Easter exists in the first place. So they had other suggestions such as, this first one won't make any sense in Florida, but just imagine you're from the north and, uh, you know, here was their greeting. After the winter we've had, <laughs> I hope you're feeling as glad as I am to say hello to Easter and springtime. So it's like, okay, it's just the season, right? Or, or they had this one, wishing you sunshine, good times, and a happy Easter. Uh, or this one happy hoppy Easter to you. <laughs> so short but sweet, but kind of misses the point, doesn't it? Now, to be fair, to their credit, they, had all, they did have a suggest uh, a selection of religious greetings as well. And there's some good ones there. Praying your Easter will be bright with the hope and joy of our risen Savior. I like that. Uh, and then this one, he is risen, hoping your Easter is happy and blessed. I like that too. Now as Christians, we sometimes get into these debates, I don't know why, you know, should we say Happy Easter or Happy Resurrection Day? And some people like one or the other. I'm good with both. Whatever you say to me in the way out today, I'm, I'm happy with either of those. But my all-time favorite Easter greeting is the one we started with our service today in song, and then just a few moments ago, He is risen. He is risen indeed, right? He is risen, it's a call and response, right? Sometimes we do that with God is good all the time, right? It's the same thing and it's wonderful greeting. First of all, it focuses on the reason why we celebrate Easter to begin with the resurrection of Christ. It is full of joy and celebration. He is risen, He is risen indeed. Sadly, uh, there are many people who have a very different response to the announcement that Jesus is risen. And so we're going to look at two common responses that fall short today before we circle back to the Christian response. He is risen indeed. And once again, this is all in the outline in your worship, God. So first of all, we're going to look at atheism. Atheism. How does atheism respond to the announcement that Jesus is risen? Instead of saying Jesus is risen indeed... Atheism says that Jesus is risen in myth, in myth. In other words, it never happened. It's it's all a legend. It's just a story. It's all a myth. Well, if it's all a myth, then, well, where did Christianity get the idea that Jesus rose from the dead? And atheism often makes the claim that Christianity, we got all of our stories about Jesus from ancient pagan myths. And every year around Easter, also around Christmas, Christmas and Easter, I always choose that time, uh, you'll see these various what we call memes, okay, popping up on Facebook or on or social media, claiming that all of the stories we have of Jesus found in the Bible, that they're just rehashes of pagan myths that were written down thousands of years before the time of Christ. And it can be kind of upsetting when you first look at that, because they seem pretty convincing at first, and they're certainly convincing to the people who post them. But once you examine these claims more closely, you will see that there is really no basis to them at all. I'm going to give you three examples this morning of pagan myths and how people try to connect them to Jesus. We're going to look real quickly at the myths of Horus, Mithras, and Quetzalcoatl. Try saying that fast three times, okay? Horus, Mithras, and Quetzalcoatl. And you may have seen some of these online uh, in these past weeks leading up to Easter. I've seen some of them. So we're going to start with Horus, the Egyptian god of war and sky. And Horus is pictured in Egyptian writings as a man with a falcon's head. And the various memes going around make claims such as this that according to the ancient Egyptian myths, ready? Here we go. Number one, Horus was born on December 25th. Secondly, that he was born of a virgin. Three, he was baptized by an individual known as Anep the Baptizer. And fourthly, that he was crucified and raised from the dead three days later. Sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Right? And and there are other parallels that they claim as well, but those are the four big ones, okay? And the people who make these claims say, well, look at that. This was all written down in pagan mythology thousands of years before Jesus ever came. These things never really happened to Jesus. Those early Christians, they just made up these stories about Jesus using these early pagan myths. So you hear that or you see that online, you might wonder, well, what, what do we do with that? You know, it does look like some pretty strong coincidences. Well, the whole thing falls apart when you start looking at it more closely. For example, the claim that Horus was born on December 25th that is completely false. There is no specific date given for the birth of Horus in any of the ancient Egyptian writings. And besides, the Bible never gives us a date for Jesus' birth anyways, right? We don't know what day Jesus was born on, right? We just sort of picked December 25th so we could all celebrate on one day together. Well, okay, well then what about Horus's virgin birth? What do you do with that? Well, that's also false. According to the Egyptian myths, Horus' mother was not a virgin mother, a virgin woman, but she was the goddess Isis. Once again, it's a completely made up claim. Likewise, this supposed Anep the baptizer, you won't find him in any of the Egyptian writings. There's no record of Horus being crucified or, or being raised from the dead three days later. All you have to do is stop and think for a minute. Crucifixion didn't exist in ancient Egypt, right? The Romans invented that. They came up with that much later. So you go, well, where did this meme even come from? Where did people get these crazy ideas? It was all made up by a man named Gerald Massey back in the 1800s. And before Gerald Massey, there are no records of any of these claims ever being made. None. There is no evidence for any of these claims in the ancient Egyptian writings. And all of these claims are completely rejected by every serious Egyptologist on the planet. Okay? By the way, on the back of your outline this morning, I've given you some links for uh, further reading or exploration. Uh, The very first one is not an article. It's actually a little fun animated video called Horus Ruins Christmas. And uh, it's put together by the Lutheran satire site, And it's fun. If you've got uh, teens or older kids, you might enjoy watching that with them uh, later on today. But so much for Horus, the god of war and sky. Well, what about Mithras then? Mithras is one of the Roman gods. And once again, according to the memes that you see on Facebook and elsewhere, number one, Mithras was born of a virgin, the memes say. He had 12 disciples. And thirdly, he gave those disciples a meal consisting of his body and his blood. And once again, it it all sounds so convincing until you do some reading. And you discover that actually, according to the myths, Mithras was was not born from a virgin. He was born from a rock, okay? So big difference there. Uh, uh, He had two companions, not 12 disciples, and this Mithraic meal that's in the, uh, uh, the Roman cult uh, was not shared with the disciples, first of all, because he didn't have any disciples, uh, but was shared with the sun god's soul, and they didn't eat Mithras' flesh, they ate the flesh of a bull. Once again, all the details are wrong. And not only are the details wrong, but the timeline is wrong also. Because Christians were already proclaiming the virgin birth, writing about the 12 disciples, and celebrating the Lord's Supper long before they ever heard about Mithras, who didn't become popular until a 100 years after Jesus. After Jesus. So much for Mithras. I'll just give you one more quick one. Quetzalcoatl. Quetzalcoatl was the uh, uh, Aztec god of the sun in the wind. Uh, he's pictured in the Aztec writings as a serpent with feathers. That should make you a little nervous hearing that. Uh, once again, the memes present all of these parallels between Quetzalcoatl and Jesus. Most of, well, once again, that cannot even be backed up. But the main problem here, when you see Quetzalcoatl up there, is one of geography. Where did the Aztecs live? Mexico! Northern Mexico! Which means Christianity could not possibly be based on the Quetzalcoatl myths... Because no Christians even heard about Quetzalcoatl until sometime in the 1500s when the Spanish came across from Europe. Now, contrast all of these various pagan myths and, and the uh, the myths that are written about the myths, contrast all of that with the Gospels, the Gospels which were written down within the lifetime of the people who witnessed all of these events. The the birth and uh, death and resurrection of Jesus. And uh, you know the irony here is that so many people on social media are passing on all these details about these myths as the truth without, without ever examining the basis of them. And so what happens is they end up being the ones spreading myths. Not the Christians. The more you study the supposed details of these myths, the more the details fall apart. Whereas with the Gospels, with Christianity, the more you study the details of Jesus's resurrection, the more it holds together. Atheism says Jesus is risen in myth. Christianity says Jesus is risen indeed. Well, how about theological liberalism then? What does Theological liberalism say about Jesus' resurrection. Well, liberalism says that Jesus is risen in metaphor, right? Atheism says risen in myth, liberalism risen in metaphor. Notice we're talking about theological liberalism here. This has nothing to do with politics, liberals, conservatives. It's a completely different thing, okay? Theological, but I'm just going to use the word liberalism just so you know. Just keep it simple, but that's what I'm talking about here. Liberalism gained popularity in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and there are some very clear differences, distinctions between liberalism and biblical Christianity. First of all, liberalism focuses more on the teachings and the ethics of Jesus, liberalism seeks to separate the teachings of Jesus from his miracles and his actions. But you cannot separate what Jesus said from what he did. J. Gresham Machin was one of the early defenders of biblical Christianity from liberalism, and he wrote this According to Christian belief, Jesus is our Savior not by virtue of what he said, not even by virtue of what he was, but by what he did. He is our Savior, not because he has inspired us to live the same kind of life that he lived, but because he took upon himself the dreadful guilt of our sins and bore it instead of us on the cross. Such is the Christian conception of the cross of Christ. Now, another distinction between liberalism and biblical Christianity is that liberalism denies both the miraculous... Miracles and the inspiration of scripture. Uh, Dr. Gerd Ludemann is a good example of a modern liberal theologian. Uh, Ludemann was a professor of early Christianity at Göttingen University in Germany in the 1980s, 1990s. He says this about the Bible, about the Word of God. He says, The view of the Bible as the Word of God or as Holy Scripture belongs to a past time. Today it hinders understanding. The Bible is the word of human beings. That's a very different understanding of the Bible than uh, what we teach as the inspired word of God. Liberalism also denies the miraculous in Scripture, uh, things such as Jesus' miracles or the virgin birth. Ludeman describes the virgin birth as, get this, the unholy, premarital, and probably violent fathering of Jesus. And then, of course, if there are no miracles, that means there is no actual resurrection. And if the Bible isn't true, there's no need to believe in the resurrection anyways. And you say, well, if there's no actual resurrection, then what are we to make about the resurrection accounts in the Bible? Liberalism says it's all a metaphor. It's all a metaphor. Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, but these accounts are simply meant as an example for us, as an inspiration for us. Ludemann makes the following statements concerning the resurrection. He writes, We can no longer take the statements about the resurrection of Jesus literally. He writes, Jesus decayed and did not rise bodily. He says, Let us say quite specifically the tomb of Jesus was not empty but full, and his body did not disappear but rotted away. And finally, There is no such thing as the risen Christ. This is the liberal understanding of the resurrection. We see the same thing in a 2019 interview just a few years ago uh, in the New York Times between uh, columnist Nicholas Kristoff. I'm sure you've read some of his columns. And Dr. Serene Jones, she is the president of Union Theological Seminary in New York. And the article begins with uh, Kristoff asking Jones, he says, Do you think of Easter as a literal flesh and blood resurrection? Kristoff says, I've got problems with that. And Jones, she responds by saying... Well, when you look at the Gospels, the stories are all over the place. There's there's no resurrection story in Mark, just an empty tomb. Those who claim to know whether or not it happened are kidding themselves. But that empty tomb, and here's the important line, listen to this. She says, that empty tomb symbolizes, symbolizes that the ultimate love in our lives cannot be crucified and killed. And so, as you can see, liberalism does not believe in a literal resurrection. For li- liberalism, the empty tomb, it's just a symbol. It's just a metaphor that encourages us to keep on loving each other because love can never really die. Liberalism says Jesus is risen in metaphor. Christianity says Jesus is risen indeed. Of course, that's what we're celebrating as a church this morning, right? He is risen. He is risen indeed. We believe in a God of miracles. We believe that God's word is true. We believe that Jesus' teachings are important. We also believe that the teachings about Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection are equally important. And not only important, but they're true. And even though you can take all of this on faith, the Bible... And history provide for us some very important evidences for Jesus' resurrection. Remember what we said earlier about the pagan myths, right? The more you study the supposed details of those myths, the more the details fall apart. But the more you study the details of Jesus' resurrection, the more it holds together. So in our time remaining this morning, I want us to look at some of these evidences... That Jesus is risen, not in myth, not in metaphor. Jesus is risen indeed. And the first one, and really one of the most important pieces of evidence, is that the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. We read this in Matthew 28, verses 11 to 15. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city. They reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. that pretty much everybody agrees on when it comes to Easter is that the tomb was empty on Easter morning. The disciples said it, the chief priests said it, the guards said it, they all agreed. The body of Jesus was no longer in the tomb. Because you see, if it had been, the authorities could easily have produced the body and stopped all of these rumors from circulating. But they didn't because they couldn't. And they couldn't because the body was not there. That's our first piece of evidence for the resurrection. The tomb was empty. And then the second piece of evidence is that there were multiple witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. Multiple witnesses. Listen to Paul's testimony in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance... Now, if only one person, if you just had one witness, if only one person saw Jesus alive after the resurrection, I suppose you could say they were either lying or or mistaken. But when all the disciples together saw Jesus risen as a group in the upper room, and then you have individuals like Peter and James and Mary Magdalene, and then 500 people all at the same time, most of whom were still alive when Paul was writing this, And then even Paul saw the risen Christ from heaven. That is some pretty strong evidence. You know, even today, some skeptics speculate, well, the disciples, maybe they were hallucinating uh, when they saw Jesus. But you know, there's no such thing, nothing on record as mass hallucinations. And even if there were, you would still have to explain the empty tomb, right? Because if the disciples were hallucinating all this then where's Jesus' body? Still in the grave, right? And the authorities can just take it out and produce it any time. So that's the second piece of evidence for the resurrection. There were multiple witnesses to the risen Christ. And then a third piece of evidence is that the disciples' lives were changed. They were changed. Uh, John 20, verses 19 and 20, we read, On the evening of that first day of the week, When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The disciples' lives, they were not only changed for that first night, they were changed forever. They went from hiding in the upper room out of fear of the authorities, to boldly proclaiming the gospel of Christ to the whole world. All 12 disciples either died or were exiled for their faith in the risen Christ. Some people still claim that the disciples stole the body from the tomb and were lying about the resurrection, but people do not die for a lie. And so something must have happened to account for this change in their lives. And the only thing that makes sense is it's the resurrection. J. Gresham Machen, once again, he writes this. He says, what was it that within a few days transformed a band of mourners into the spiritual conquerors of the world? It was not the memory of Jesus' life. It was not the inspiration which came from past contact with him, but it was the message. He is risen. That message alone gave to the disciples a living Savior. It alone can give to us a living Savior today. The disciples' lives were changed by the resurrection. Countless lives, countless lives continue to be changed today by the risen Christ. There are other evidences we could look at this morning, but the final point I want us to focus on today is this. If Christ is not raised, your faith is in vain. So the Bible says, if Christ is raised in myth or in metaphor, and not indeed, your faith is in vain. The Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. Because we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. And so there's a reason why skeptics keep attacking the resurrection of Christ. It's because they know that the resurrection is essential to Christian faith. The message of Christianity is not only that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that's important, right? But that he rose again on the third day. If there is no resurrection, then there is no Christianity. If Jesus is risen only in myth, your faith is in vain. And you are still in your sins. If Jesus is risen only in metaphor, then there is no salvation, no forgiveness, and no hope of life after death. If it's only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. And people, this is why the message of Easter is such good news. Because Jesus is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. I, I don't know that there are many atheist churches out there, okay? But if there are, I would be curious to know how they handle that Easter greeting. Because right? I, I really can't imagine people greeting one another. He is risen! He is risen in myth. He is risen! He is risen in myth. It's really hard to get excited over that, isn't it? And I've never been to a liberal church for Easter Sunday, but I don't imagine they greet each other He is risen. He is risen in metaphor. There's not a lot of hope or joy in that, is there? But I do know what this church teaches and believes. And when I greet you on Easter mornings, only one response that I long to hear, that I rejoice to hear, he is risen. Again, he is risen. He is risen indeed. The tomb was empty. There were multiple witnesses. The disciples' lives were changed, and countless lives continue to be changed today. Jesus Christ conquered sin and death, and when you put your faith in him, you will be raised also. That is the good news of Easter. He is risen! He is risen indeed. Amen. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, we rejoice in you this morning. We rejoice that you are not risen in myth, you are not risen in metaphor, you are risen in deed, and therefore our faith is not in vain. And so, Lord, we rejoice in you today, the risen Christ, triumphant over sin and death, alive today, alive in our lives, giving us new life, giving us hope, hope for the resurrection and eternal life with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.